Welcome to the heart of the Big Bend. It's time to kick back, put your feet up, grab your favorite beverage or snack as we discuss, declare, proclaim, publicize, and articulate about the wonders, magic, beauty, music, and happenings here in the area known as the Big Bend of Texas. Thank you for joining us again for Heart of the Big Bend. This is a podcast and radio show coming to you every other week about visiting the beautiful Big Bend of Texas. Specifically, we will cover what's happening in Alpine, an incredibly friendly small town nestled in a desert mountain valley at the heart of the Big Bend region. With easy day trips from Alpine, you can take in everything this amazing region has to offer. I'm Chris Ruggia, Director of Tourism for the City of Alpine, and today I'm joined by Stephen Hummel from the McDonald Observatory. Hi, Stephen. Hi, Chris. Good to be here. Thanks so much. And and today we're going to talk, we're, it's sort of a follow-up episode. Uh, if you look back in our podcast feed to just one of the first few episodes a little over a year ago, we talked to Bill Wren at the McDonald Observatory about the Greater Big Bend International Dark Sky Reserve. Very good. Yeah, which, you got the title right. Yeah, <laughs> been in, in enough Zoom calls about it. So. <laughs> and, uh, and so at the time, uh, when Bill talked to Heather and I, uh, the uh, reserve was a proposal, and, and and we were trying to get all the ducks lined up, and it finally happened. So, congratulations to you <laughs> and you. to me yeah. and uh, the whole region. Uh, so when when did it become official? Yeah, so the Dark Sky Reserve became officially certified in March of this year. So not that long ago, uh, about six months or so in. But um, yeah, yeah, and yeah. so so. Uh, what did we have to get in place? What what had to happen for them to agree this is actually a dark sky reserve? Yeah, yeah this is not a title that is given easily. Just So it's a title given by the International Dark Sky Association. Uh, and so they, they what they want to see in any of their dark sky places in order mm-hmm. to certify it is, one, it's actually dark, right? right? It, 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 you have nice starry skies. <laughs> so we had to prove that. We had to take measurements of the night sky, lots of photos, lots of, lots of evidence to support that. Yeah, so lots of volunteers in a lot of different places around the region with with meters, with dark, what are those called? Sky quality Darko meters. meters? Yeah, sky darko. <laughs> I wish they were called darko meters. That'd be great. Yeah, they're sky these Sky quality meters. Sky quality meters, exactly. Yeah, they're little devices. You just, uh, you point them up at the sky, you push a button, and it gives you a number, and that number tells you how dark it is. Right. So we had a, a small army of volunteers, and we could still use more volunteers, actually, um, uh, taking these measurements. Right, so if you um, want to learn how to use a darko meter, <laughs> you can contact Stephen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, we have to take those measurements annually as well not not just for the application but uh to keep it up to make sure we're actually on target right and it's still dark and you know we can maintain the status okay so we establish okay it's dark and then what else do we have to do so then we have to get or demonstrate community support Mm -hmm. so that's a challenging one kind of vague but basically we had to get letters of support from local residents all the major stakeholders in the region uh, and demonstrate that people actually want this thing to happen and people support it. Yeah. Um, which was uh, actually uh, surprisingly uh, easier than I thought it was oh, going good. to be. We had over uh, 250 letters of support um, from people all across the reserve, uh, Mexico, the rest of the state, uh, Texas as well, um, who all wanted this to happen. So uh, thankfully that part wasn't as hard as I feared it would be. Yeah. yeah. And and then, uh, as I recall, we needed 
ordinances. You need action, right, from the all the governments in the area. Yes, action. That's the that's the trickier part, right? Yeah. It's one thing to, to claim you have a dark sky, uh, but it's another thing to preserve it. Um, and so what we had to do was uh, make sure that all areas within the dark sky reserve have some kind of ordinance or ordinances in place or some kind of lighting management plan to preserve the night sky. Right. So this mean, meant that all uh, th four counties within the reserve, that's uh, Jeff Davis, Presidio, and Brewster County, and then a little bit of Reeves County and around Balmoray, they, and all the cities within there had to update their lighting ordinances. They all already had them, I but, see. but we had to update them to make sure that they were up to our modern understanding, basically. Right. And now, uh, just so folks realize, because we went over this with Bill, but this reserve, you mentioned all these counties. This is the largest right now in the world, and as I understand it, the only one that extends across a international border. Yeah, exactly. So the area covered by the reserve is over 15,000 square miles, uh, which is insane. I yeah. Mean, it's a huge area. It's bigger than several U.S. states. Um, and it, it also includes uh, three protected lands uh, across the river in Mexico. And did you have to uh, work on uh, legal change ordinance? I don't know what in Mexico if they're mm -hmm. called ordinances or what the word is there, but... So did you have to work with those governments as well? Yeah. So we work with CONAP, which is basically the Mexican equivalent of the National Park Service. Oh, okay. Um, Since they're already protected yes, areas. Yes. So they're already protected right. areas. They're, the areas across the river are very sparsely populated, um, but they subscribe to a lighting management plan. Um, oh, okay. But Mexico, uh, fun fact, is one of only two countries in the world that has a federal level light pollution really law. yeah wow. the other being france okay um, well, yeah the city of light famously yeah, yeah. it's ironic but <laughs> um yeah mexico does they approved it uh, i believe in uh, 2019 2020 okay. so just before the reserve came into effect um so yeah that uh, also helped pave the way it meant that we didn't have to fight so hard at a local level yeah uh, it was already in place at the national level yeah so uh so those things happened and then we submit you know all the documentation and stuff to the uh, International Dark Sky Association. Right. Is that right? And, uh, and so we got word back. And so now we, uh, we have the certification. And, and so what happens now? Right. Well, now we, yeah, we have <laughs> the title and now we can brag about it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, honestly, bragging rights are a big yeah. reason to go for it. For now, sure. We have the biggest and that's something to be proud of. And, and you know, that's, I think, a, a big reason uh, for people to visit the area, of mm -hmm. course. Uh, it's, I, I'm proud to live in the yeah. biggest dark sky reserve. Well, and well. It, yeah, my wife and I came out. For, I think the first time we came to the area was uh, that was part of it. Uh, she'd mm -hmm. heard, oh, you know, I hear around Fort Davis, the observatory. It's the darkest guys in the, the, some large area. You know, I can't remember yeah. what she told me way back then. So no, yeah, it, it drew it, us. It's a big reason why people live here, mm -hmm. um, and so I think a lot of people are, are going to be pleased to hear that that will continue. Um, but um, th but just getting the title, um, yeah, that's just the beginning because yeah. we have a lighting management plan. We have these policies we want uh, to we got to follow through on now. Yeah. So now comes sort of the harder work of make of maintaining it. Yes. Um, and the way you know you the listener can help uh, is just by using a light that's shielded uh, and aiming it down uh, at your own home, business, you know, wherever you're, whatever you're doing, uh, using a light that's aim down in a sort of amber color goes a yeah. long way to protect your night sky. So let's, uh, let's uh, be extra clear here. So no matter where you live, 
this is a good thing to do, you know, because there's a couple of different aspects of this. One is uh, pointing light down is where we use it, for mm -hmm. one thing. You point light up at the sky, it's not actually helping anybody. It's not making your property uh, safer or easier to see by pointing light up into the sky or into your eyes, for that matter. Uh, but so, not, so this is helpful for anybody anywhere, but specifically within our area, that's something for property owners in Alpine specifically, because we, we just passed the new ordinance. Uh, within a few years, three and a half, I think you mm -hmm. told me earlier, uh, the ordinance requires night sky friendly lighting. So you're really going to want to look at your own home and, uh, and look at the lights on the poles on the buildings and and see, you know, mm -hmm. and and so if you're walking around your property at night, what are you looking out for? What what are those red flags? Yeah, so uh, an obvious red flag is if you are say across the street from your property, looking across the street, and you can see the source of the bulb, but it's kind of aimed out. So that bulb is shining into your uh, eye. Yeah, glaring at you. Yeah, it's illuminating someone else's property, then it's not compliant. Yeah, yeah. that would that we would call that light trespass or or light pollution, basically. Yeah. Um, and so it's not just pointed at the stars, it's pointed at your neighbor's yard. Yeah. So this is good they, neighborness as well as uh, yeah, dark your, sky protection. Your neighbor may not like it, but they also may not, you know, want to confront you about it, even yeah. if they have feelings about it. It's something I encounter a lot. Um, so, yeah, it's a neighborly, neighborly thing to do just to make sure your light stays with, within the bounds of your own property. Um, the other thing to look for is the color. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people get confused about this. Like, why does the color really matter? Yeah. You know? you know, if you drive through Fort Davis at night, especially, it's, it's really obvious that all the street lights are orange. You know, mm -hmm. why? A lot of people ask that. Well, the reason we like orange is the same reason the sky is blue in the daytime. So blue light scatters more in the air. It washes out the sky in the day. Uh -huh. If you have a white or a blue street light or light at night, it's going to do the same thing. Yeah. The blue light's going to wash out the stars at night. So if we use an orange or, or kind of amber color, it doesn't scatter as much. It, and so even if it some of the light does bounce off your pavement or whatever, it still won't affect the stars quite gotcha. so much. Gotcha. So I'm, I'm standing in the store, and it's like I'm, I'm, I've, I've walked around my property, and there's no bulbs shining me in the face. You know, I'm not having to squint looking at my house, but the light looks a little bluish, and so I want to go replace that bulb. Mm -hmm. And so I'm standing at the at the aisle, and there's all these numbers on yeah. it. And so, so what what am I looking for? What's a what's a what's the right number? Yeah, the right number. Well, uh, the right one. The easy thing to remember is soft white or ah. uh, or uh, amber. If it says that on there, or if it says bug light, those are all good. Okay. Um, if if it says cool white or daylight white, then it's not so good. Gotcha. But um, those names are basically just different, are also represented by numbers yeah. um, in a Kelvin scale. So you want a number that's 2,700 or lower. Gotcha. And if it's... If you lower see it, the better. Yeah, lower the better. The okay. lower the number, the better. If it's like four or 5,000, that's a really bright daylight, you know, think like car high beam kind of yeah. color. Yeah. So we don't want that one. Yeah. So I, I want to, um, from all the times I talked to Bill Wren about, mm -hmm. about lights, I'm going to channel him a little bit, try to remember <laughs> some of the things that he told me. Because uh, the reasons that we want light on our property is we want to be safe. You know, we want to feel, uh, feel like our property's safe. And also we want to be able to see what we're doing when mm -hmm. we're on our property at night. And so 
the first thing we imagine when we think, okay, I want to illuminate my property so that I know who's on there, I can see what's going on. You want it as bright as possible. It's yeah. the first thing you think. Mm -hmm. But if you see some of these before and after photographs, particularly, I want to point out the oil field work yes. that Bill started with the, uh, mm -hmm. some of the companies there where you, um, you think about a drill site and what you think of is these um, brilliant glaring lights and he worked with these companies to lower the light volume you lower the lower the the luminance i guess of those bulbs get them less bright and shield them so you're not looking straight at the bulbs and they found with way less money so that mm -hmm. uh so they're spending less on illumination but it's also was way safer yeah that exactly. there was because because your yeah. your eyes get fatigued when you're looking at at lights uh, and one other thing I wanted to mention is uh, I've seen this example of if you're wanting to light your home because you're concerned about unwanted people mm -hmm. on your property, the best way to be able to see those people is to not be able to see your light bulb. Yes, Because exactly. if you're looking at a glaring light bulb, one of those light packs is pointed out into the mm -hmm. yard you're getting blinded yeah. by your bulb and somebody could be standing right next to that light and yeah, you wouldn't see them it. at all or behind it. Yeah, mm -hmm. whereas if it's shielded, you get way better view of exactly. your property. Yeah, no, it's counterintuitive. But yeah, like more light doesn't necessarily equal safer, right? Because your eye is going to adjust to whatever the ambient light levels are. Mm -hmm. So if you have a really high intensity light and it's dark surrounding it, you may see well in that area but as soon as you leave that really well-lit area you're night blind yeah you know and there could be you know a javelina right in front of you and you wouldn't see it and it <laughs> yeah. happened to me yeah uh, we've <laughs> scared each other in my driveway i'll admit it um yeah. so th speaking of that intensity so if i'm just let's say your average porch light you know mm -hmm. what kind so we've talked about the color yeah but what about the brightness of the bulb what, what's a good yeah, a good rule of thumb there. Um, basically, if, if for outdoor kind of residential applications, uh, 800 lumens or lower okay. is good for like per bulb. Gotcha. Um, and, you know, what's a lumen? Well, the more lumens you got, the brighter it is, basically. Yeah. And you'll see that on every package uh, of light bulb you get. It'll, it'll usually be like the first thing in big letters, 800, 1,000, 2,000 lumens. Um, but you don't need all that much light at night. Um, because your eyes adjust so easily, you know, yeah. and I think a lot of people um, don't even realize how well their eyes adjust because mm -hmm. it's sort of subconscious. Um, and if you live in a big city, odds are you've never actually even allowed your eyes to completely adjust to the darkness yeah. and really experience what your eyes are really capable of. Um, but it allows you to see further into the distance. For sure, you, yeah. Because again, if you have a really bright light, you may see well right underneath it. But the area further away, you can't see because your eyes aren't adjusted to it. Right. So super bright lights can decrease the area of your basically your visible range. Okay. Um, so, yeah. so anytime you're you're at the hardware store, you're thinking about a light bulb for out of doors, look for that 800 lumens or less, warm light, 2700 and lower color wise. Mm -hmm. And uh, so now let's imagine uh, I want to learn a little more. I'm thinking I, I know my fixture needs to be replaced mm -hmm. or whatever. What are some resources? Where, where should people go to learn, learn more about that? Yeah, you can go to bigbenddarkskyreserve.org. Great. Um, and that's a, a website we've got put together where it's got lots of helpful information. And if you're unclear on any of the terms or you're, you're, you're looking through the site and the guides, you're like, I don't really know if my light is good or not. 
um, then uh, just send us an email. We have a contact page. I'm happy to look at your light, whether they live here in the area or not, frankly. Right. Um, yeah, take a picture of it and yeah. send, it, send it to Stephen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just send it to me, and I'm happy to help out. Excellent. And if, if you're in the area, you might even be able to, to uh, make Stephen a sandwich or something, invite him over, and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and he'll look at your, your fixture in person. Exactly, yeah. All right, so uh, that kind of covers what, what we personally can do towards maintaining and improving even mm -hmm. the darkness of our skies so that when we look up, we see even more of those stars. And, of course, the, uh, the starting point for all of this was McDonald Observatory, which mm -hmm. is where, coincidentally, you are employed. <laughs> yes, yeah. And, and so since, since you're here, I want to take advantage uh, and, and, and find out from you what's going on at the observatory these days. Like, who, who's studying what and yeah. what's new? So um, our Hobby Eberly Telescope just turned 25 years old wow. uh, earlier this past week. Um, and although maybe 25 years old, uh, it's, it's basically all new these days. It had a big uh, upgrade back in 2017, uh -huh. and it's currently involved in creating the largest map of the universe ever made. Wow. Looking out to galaxies that are about 11 billion light years away. And what we're trying to do is basically construct a giant map to figure out why the universe is expanding. Uh -huh. And in particular, why it is it expanding at an accelerating rate? Right. So just distant galaxies are moving away from us at an ever-increasing pace. And whatever is responsible for that, which we don't know, but whatever it's yeah. doing that, you know, we call dark energy. Mm -hmm. But as we like to say, it might not be dark. It might not be anything. <laughs> <laughs> it's frankly a placeholder term to figure out yeah. why the universe is expanding. Um, but that's our biggest project going on right now, one of many different projects. And so the map, is this like setting a baseline to do further measurements? How is the map mm -hmm. going to help us learn about about the dark energy, so to speak? Yeah, so it's one thing to look at one little spot. Uh, you know, galaxies far away and measure what they're doing, how fast they're moving. But we need to know what the universe as a whole is basically gotcha. doing. The grand scale structure of the whole thing, as much as we can. Um, so we need to take measurements from a huge area of the sky to make sure that, you know, something happening over in this one spot isn't just an anomaly, you know, right. something okay. unique about so, it. So as an example, see if I'm, am, I'm understanding right in a lot of cases you're if it's let's say i'm working on measuring a certain body in mm -hmm. the sky or certain area of the sky and i might take repeated measurements over time and compare those in this case we get a broad breadth of mm -hmm. area and you can compare different areas of the sky that you didn't have like one-to-one -one, yeah uh, pictures of uh equivalencies there is that that seem right yeah yeah we want we want a diverse sample set yeah. you know we don't want to just you know look at one particular kind of object in one particular thing it's in astronomy it's called a blind survey okay. we just said here's the area of the sky we don't know what's there and we're not going to play any favorites you know we're just yeah. looking at everything and the, the nice side effect of that or coincidence is that we discover a lot of things that nobody even knew to look for right right you know uh, w for this study we designed the instrument to look at galaxies but it gets stars and yeah. everything else there, too. And one astronomer's trash is another astronomer's <laughs> treasure. Right. So they're mining that data set and finding all kinds of stuff. We're finding, you know, spectrums of meteors. Uh -huh. You know, like me sometimes a meteor will just happen to fall in the telescope's field of view. And there actually aren't a lot of observations of meteors with telescopes because 
you know, you don't know where to look, right? right? They just, they only last a second or two. Um, and we find all sorts of weird stars and black holes and things, that, again, no one knew was there yeah. and no one even knew to look for. Oh, cool. Uh, any other specific uh, new discoveries or, or, or questions that are being asked that uh, have yeah. come up recently? So um, our oldest telescope, our 82-inch telescope, uh, which was built in 1939, uh-huh. is... Uh, was the second largest when it was built back then. Today, it's not even the second largest at the observatory. Right. But it's still an active research telescope, and it's, in fact, one of the oldest research telescopes in the world wow. today. Wow, that are in active use. That are in active use, still making discoveries. And the reason for that is just new instruments to, to use the telescope effectively. Um, so one of the newer instruments we have comes from Texas A&M. Now, we're part of UT, but we uh-huh. get along with A&M. <laughs> uh, but um, and it is looking at uh, planets around other stars, gotcha. exoplanets. Right? Um, so it, it's hoping to discover planets that are uh, probably a little bit uh, bigger than the Earth, but not by too much, uh-huh. that are around stars that are at least somewhat like the sun yeah um, used in using a telescope that was never used for that purpose no right. one thought it could before but we're using it in different ways oh excellent mm-hmm. yeah it's a it's very opportunistic uh field it seems like you're gonna you mm-hmm. can take advantage of of every every scrap of light that's hitting the earth or hitting those devices yep exactly yeah. every photon counts <laughs> to say. Yeah. excellent so uh so that's what the uh the scientists who are working mm-hmm. there are up to, but then we also have visitors who can come to the observatory. And I, I want to point people back to that uh, episode uh, back in the feed. So if you get on uh, visitalpinetx.com uh, slash podcast and scroll down, you can find that episode where we talked in some detail with Bill Wren about uh, the visitor center and star parties. But let's, let's give people a quick overview of uh i mean the visitor center is amazing you've got some new stuff mm-hmm. um yeah yeah so uh, if you want to come visit the observatory you're we definitely encourage that and uh, we're not just a research facility we have a lot of pro- public programs so you can come do a daytime tour um or attend one of our star party programs where you look through some of our telescopes at night and get a tour of the night sky with a laser pointer, which is really cool. Yes. Um, and we also do solar viewing programs in the day where you take a look at what's happening on the sun. Yeah. And the sun's been very active lately. Really? Lots of cool stuff happening on the sun these days. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, sooner or later, it may actually impact your everyday life. Right, right. Uh, which you can learn more about in those programs. And um, you can uh, check those out at our website as well, mcdonaldobservatory.org. Uh-huh. Um, and make we recommend making reservations. Yeah, about how far ahead of time you do you think you need to yeah. to sign up? If there's any kind of school break, uh, if kids are going to be out, then I recommend at least two or three months in advance. Okay. Yeah. If they're if it's a middle of the week, you can probably get away with a few a week or, or less. But gotcha. Um, yeah, definitely check the schedules though. For yeah. sure. Well, Stephen, thanks so much again for coming to talk to us about the the Dark Sky Reserve, which you've done a some great work on and continue to so thank you for all of that and thanks for sharing with us about the observatory as well thank you for having me it's been a pleasure excellent and thank all of you for listening to us on heart of the big bend you can get more information about the show at visit slash podcast or search for heart of the big bend on apple podcasts spotify most of the other podcast apps and for all of those Uh, listening on KVLF and KALP in Alpine, who, once again, we thank so much for working with us on this show. We'll see you in two Fridays.
Bye, everybody. You've been listening to The Heart of the Big Bend. Hope you liked what you heard and that you'll find the time to experience all that the Big Bend has to offer. See you soon, partner. Thank you.